church in uh, in um, Pergamos or Pergamum, depending on how you want to translate that word, and um, where paper was being used, and it had a, the largest library in the world as they knew it at that time. I'll come on to tell you a little bit about more about Pergamum as uh, we go through this. I prefer Pergamos because it's easier to say than Pergamum. That's because I'm Scottish. I roll my R's. I often have difficulty with words that have lots of R's in them. But never mind. Let's get to the, the passage we're going to look at today in Revelation. Chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, and yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have few complaints against you. You tolerate, you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to strip up, trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. It often helps when you can't see very well to have your glasses on when you're trying to read. So here we are, we're at the third letter in Revelation, the letter to Pergamos. I read this letter through, and I, I kind of was asking God, what is it you want me to say this morning? And I, and I kind of look at it, and I think, Pergamos relates to the ability to, or the, it's proving of God's testimony and character in our, and character in our lives. It's the proving of God's people. Because the church in Pergamos was being infiltrated by Nicolaitans and by people who were bringing false teachings. It almost it reflects, as we read, some of the history that um, the Israelite people went through and their time of wandering in the wilderness. During that time, they got tested many times, and one of them is, is uh, mentioned as we read the letter. A little bit of history on Pergamum. It was located north of Ephesus and Smyrna, about 15 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. As I said earlier, it was a large city. It was estimated the population of 160,000. That was large in those days. It was a cultural and religious center. It was an intellectual center of the region. And with a university that had, a, it's actually 200, I got these numbers mixed up a minute ago, there's a library of about 200,000 written volumes, handwritten. And they wanted to make it even larger. So they invited 
This is a word I'm going to have a trouble the name I'm going to have trouble with. Aristophones, the director of the library at Alexandria, to come to Pergam. But when the leader of Egypt heard about it, he had him arrested and put an embargo against Pergamum. This meant that Pergamum could no longer get the papyrus they needed to make books or scrolls as they would have had in those days. But instead of just giving up, the people went to work and invented an alternative that was known as pergamene paper. Can anybody think what that was later shortened to? Parchment. Parchment became the paper of choice for many, many years until it was later developed further by the Chinese. So it shows the city as being very cultured, very educated, and certainly a center of activity in the Roman world. However, in this letter, it was also remained to, um, mentioned or referred to as the city where Satan has his throne. It's quite a scathing indictment, isn't it? The city where Satan has his throne. There were four major temples located in um, Pergamos. The temples to Athena, the goddess of wisdom and the arts. Asclepius, the god of medicine. Does anybody know what the symbol they used? And is it still used today? It's interesting, isn't it? The snake or the serpent entwined on a staff. Dionysus, <coughs> the god of wine and orgy, and Zeus, the ruler of heavens and the father of other gods. It was also the first city in Roman Empire to have a temple to the emperor. So that's just a little bit of a background to the city into which this, church, this letter was written to the church that were in the midst of all that that was going on. As we've said before, I believe the seven letters reflect the seven aspects of the, the Spirit of God as seen in, in, in Isaiah. And this one, I believe, um, reflects the spirit of the understanding, and I will come back to that a little bit later on. The church here was under attack. A similar experience was going on there than, than when Balak tried to destroy the Israelites and got Balaam in Numbers. You can read the story in Numbers 22 to 25. Tried to get Balaam to curse the people of Israel. He couldn't get Balaam to curse the people of Israel, so he started on a new plan by infiltrating the Israeli people with his own and causing them to go into sexual sin and eating food from idols. The same was going on in this church. Remember, it was a huge center of cults and wrong teaching. There were four major temples to other religions, but there were so many other cults and things that were rising up in that city. And here was this church right in the midst of it. The Nicolaitans, who we mentioned last week, had also infiltrated this church and were leading people astray. 
You know, it would have been so easy for these people in this church to compromise. Particularly as we read, they were beginning to lose their lives because of their belief and their faith. It would have been easy for them to become submerged in the world around them and just go with the flow. Because then they might have been able to save their lives. It would have been easy for them to compromise their faith because then they might have saved their lives. Now, if you think a little bit about this, this is very similar to what's going on in certain areas of the world today. We saw a a report in the news just this week or the end of last week about the Egyptian Coptic Christians who were beheaded by IS because of their beliefs, because of their faith. The church was under persecution. The church was under persecution, but not necessarily by ways of which we can see easily, but by way of infiltration. They were still dying for their faith, but yet they were standing strong. I've said it before and I say it again. I think we have it incredibly easy over here in the Western world. The only persecution that we come across from time to time is when the city council maybe tells us to turn down our music because it's too loud or we're too religious. Or we're told we're not allowed to preach the good news of Jesus because it's religious. I believe there's a time coming when that's going to change. We don't understand what persecution is. And in many respects, and I talk about the church in general here, I believe that that in some ways has made the church weak. Because we're not being persecuted. Now, I'm not, I'm not standing up here saying I want to bring persecution on the church. That is not what I want. I don't want that just the same as anybody else. These 22 Coptic Christians were beheaded last week because they would not denounce their faith. I often ask myself, if that had been me, how would I react? I think there is a time coming, people, friends, where the church in the West is going to come under persecution. It's already begun, particularly in Europe. Where's your faith? Is your faith based around what we do here on a Sunday morning? Or is your faith based on our true relationship with Jesus Christ? If we took away this, if this was no longer available to you, where would you be? Would you scatter? Would you go to somebody else's congregation? Or would your faith be strengthened? 
some hard questions we need to be asking ourselves. In order to withstand this persecution or even walk every day in Christ, we must become submerged in Him, totally engulfed by Him. See, a personal relationship with Jesus is not based on knowledge. It's not based on how much we know Him, or know about Him, rather. Because even the demons have that knowledge. We spoke a little bit about that last week. In fact, they can even quote Scripture at us. But yet they flee when the light comes. Personal relationship with Christ is when we become submerged in Him. Where our character, we've talked a lot about this over this last few weeks, where our character disappears, where our character is no longer important, and Christ becomes our character. He shines through. His very nature takes on our being. Our ways become His ways. Any Star Trek fans here? A few of you. You'll know what I mean when I talk about the Borg. Resistance is futile their favorite saying. For those of you who don't watch Star Trek, I'm going to indulge for a minute or two and tell you about the race called the Borg. The Borg are a race of aliens who scour the entire universe looking for other planets to assimilate. And what they mean by assimilate is you become one of us. And they do it by this collective that they have. In this collective, there is no individualism. There is no thinking for yourself. You all become one and you all think together. Now, it falls down a little bit, my illustration, because then you just become a robot. But I believe that when we become submerged in God, our thoughts become His thoughts. Our heart becomes His heart. We become submerged in His very nature. We sing the song, don't we? Hosanna. I see the King of glory. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for the things that break yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Are those words that we just sing, or are those words that are a heartfelt cry of our heart? See, it's easy to come to church and sing words. It's easy to come to church and sing words that are familiar to us. One of the songs that we sang today was written by a gentleman who'd come to a point of realizing that the words meant nothing. And he stopped singing for a period of time because he came back to the heart of worship. See, worship is not about singing songs. 
Worship is about this. It's about our hearts. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a sacrifice. As we give our lives, that is an act of worship. Then the songs rise up from within us, but they become so much more than just words on a screen. Our heart's desire is to have God's nature and character replace ours. When His character shines through our lives, we will transform our neighborhoods. We will transform the places that we live. When we bump into people who don't yet know Christ, they will see Christ in us because we've allowed His character to engulf ours. Our lives produce the fruits of the Spirit. The word Pergamos means height or elevation. And these terms refer to the receiving of the testimony, just as Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the testimony of God. What happened when Moses received the testimony of God? He went up into what? Somebody said it? Cloud. What was the cloud? It was the presence of God. He received the testimony of God as he was submerged in the presence of God. He received his understanding of God by being submerged in the spirit of understanding. It changed his life. What happened when he came down the mountainside? His face shone and he had to cover it. His face, his, his, his life completely changed by being submerged in the presence of God. You see, as we submerge ourselves in His presence, as we submerge ourselves in His Spirit, as we allow His character to take on, to, to, to overcome ours, and we lay our pride and our strength and our character to the side and say, God, come. God, come and take over my life. Our lives then become the image. Our lives become the light. Our lives become Christ-like. And so when we bump into people who don't know Christ yet, they can see a difference. We talked a little bit about that last week or a couple of weeks ago. So if all we are doing here is something that we can do out there without Christ, then we might as well just go home. But if we allow Christ to come and take over our very being and become the light of the world, then people's lives will be transformed. Our worship will take on a new level. It's the very picture of baptism. is being submerged in Him. Submerged. Not sprinkled, sorry. But submerged. Submerged in Him. Died with Him. And we rise again. Our life becomes our testimony as we allow the Holy Spirit to take over our lives. You know, I, I used to read the Bible before I was a Christian and it just it was words on a page. But something happened. Something happened when I gave my life to Christ. Something happened when I allowed the Holy Spirit to come into my life. 
the words on the page become alive. The words on the page become the very life that we live in, the very life that feeds us, the manna of heaven. But before it was just a book. It still is just a book. It's a book written by, or a collection of books written by men and women like you and I. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to take hold of our lives, these words on the page become alive and they become the food that we feed on. The two-edged sword that's mentioned at the beginning of the letter is seen as the Word. The giver of the Word is Christ. And I believe the two edges of that sword reflect the testimony of Christ as summed up in the law, love for God and love for people. And when we are submerged in the Holy Spirit, and I'm choosing my language very carefully today, submerged in the Holy Spirit, our testimony becomes one of loving God and loving people, loving others as ourselves. And I find it quite interesting to read that Jesus was going to come and fight with the sword of his mouth, the two things, love for God and love for people. He didn't come to fight them with rhetoric. He didn't come to fight them with knowledge or bluster. He didn't come to fight them with violence. He came to fight them with love. Now, I'm sure many of you amongst us today know that the best way to have an argument or a fight with your neighbor or somebody beside you is to rise up. Because as you rise up, your pride takes a hold and say, well, I'm going to beat this guy. He's not going to get the better of me. And what ensues after that is a, either a heated discussion or we get into fisticuffs. But yet, if we came at that in a different way, with love, isn't that the best way to diffuse a situation? Often we do have to defend ourselves. Yes, of course we do. But you know, since we've been in, in, in Canada, we've had people rise up against us. And some of the things that have happened have been deeply, deeply hurtful. But yet we have just chosen to love. We have chosen to love. Jesus chose to love his enemies. You know, we are commanded to love our enemies. That's hard to hear, isn't it? We're commanded to love our enemies. There's a lot of rhetoric in the USA at the moment over rising up against the Muslims. Christian rhetoric, I may say. People who count themselves as Christian. I say, we need to love them. Jesus says, we need to love them. And that may well be hard for some people to hear this morning. Jesus came to love. And you know something else? Jesus died on the cross and rose again for those men that killed those 22 Coptic Christians this week. Just the same as he died for you and I. How 
How do I know? Because that event took place 2,000 years ago. Nothing can change that. He came to die for the world, my friends. He didn't come to die just for you. He came to die for the world. Jesus came to fight them with love. Love our enemies. Love overcomes a bundle of stuff, doesn't it? You have a dispute with your neighbor, he throws a brick through your window and you go and take him a meal around the next day. What's his reaction going to be? You could go and throw a brick through his window. I'm sure many of you would think that that would be a great idea. I'll teach him. I'll even get a bigger brick than he put through my window. But what a difference it would make instead of doing that is if we just took him around a meal. Moving on. To those who overcome, they're given hidden manna. This was God's provision in the wilderness. Manna daily given to the Israelites. It speaks to us today as the words of life that come to us as we submerge ourselves in the Holy Spirit. You see, there are people around that believe that God stopped speaking at the end of the Bible. I don't believe that at all. I believe God speaks today just as the same as He did 2,000 years ago, just the same as He did when He created the earth. Because I worship the God that is, was, and is, and is to come. He's the same forever. He has not changed. Nothing about His character has changed. The manna that is spoken about in this letter is the words of life that come to us as we submerge ourselves in Christ. The daily words that come to us. It changes our nature and character, our way and power and authority. And as we come to this understanding, if we submerge ourselves in God, as we come to this understanding, we begin to understand who we really are in Christ the authority and the power that Christ has given us. As we feed on the Word, as we hear the Word, as we listen to the giver of the Word, as we submerge ourselves in Him and allow Him to take over our character, we begin to fully understand what it means to be in Christ. It says in the end of the letter there too, they will also be given a stone, but not just any stone, a white stone that represents cleanliness. White represents cleanliness. It's a sign of the redeemed people. New character and identity in Him. You see, when we come to Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. We're given a new identity in Him. 
We're given the power and authority. New character. A new identity in Christ. Again, the symbolism of baptism. We die to ourselves and we rise up with a new identity in Christ. It speaks to the testimony that others can see in us, this stone, through the outward expression of our lives, through the fruits of the Spirit shining through. Mentioned earlier on, and last week, you know, there are people outside these four walls who are doing just the same as we do in good works and good things, but they don't know Christ. There are people outside, those four, outside these four walls that are searching. You know that as well as I do because of all the spiritual things that go wrong around in Nelson and this valley is renowned for spiritualism. They're searching. They're searching. But if they can't see anything different in us, why would they bother searching in the church? If they can't see the light shining through you, why would they bother searching? They want to see something different. They're looking for reality. They're looking for integrity. They're looking for authenticity. Let me tell you this, and this might come hard too. They're not looking to come every Sunday morning and sit in a seat and listen to me spout off or sing some songs. They're looking for reality. The reality that the God that we worship will transform and change our lives and therefore will transform and change their lives too. That comes from a living experience with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That comes as we allow ourselves to be submerged in the Holy Spirit, allow ourselves to be submerged in His character, allow His character to take over our character, allow our character to be transformed into the light where the darkness will flee. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for knowledge. They're not looking for words. They're looking for a life transformation. We are the people that can bring that to them. We can introduce them to Jesus who lives in us. They need to see Jesus shining through. But it's nothing that we can do other than allow ourselves to be submerged in Him and the Holy Spirit. And as we allow that, our life transformation takes place. We become the light that the darkness flees from. We become the reflection of Christ here on earth. In the wilderness, the law was given to present God's character and identity to God's people, identify God's people. Failure to understand this kept the older generations from the promised land. As we are submerged by the Holy Spirit, our lives change. They are transformed, which brings, He brings understanding to us. 
which in turn brings a change in our lives. It's as we understand who we really are in Christ, the power and authority that has been invested in our lives, the fact that we have the power of God living in us through the Holy Spirit. Can you just get a hold of that for a moment? Can we just get a hold of what that really means? We have the power of God living in our very beings through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. If we really, truly understood what that meant, our lives would be so transformed. So transformed. And we become the light in the darkness. As we submerge ourselves by the Holy Spirit, our lives change and He brings understanding to us. He changes our character. He changes our nature. He changes our ways. He gives us power and authority to overcome. And that's what He said to the church in Pergamos. You have withstood because they understood, but yet there were still those that were coming to infiltrate to try and destroy them. It is when we understand the power and authority which we possess, our lives will become a reflection of that understanding to those who enter into the new covenant, to those who enter into a new covenant relationship with Christ, we are given a personal testimony of Him. We are seen as the white stone with a name that only one receiving it knows. We have a new identity in Christ. He becomes the source of that identity. He becomes the desire of our hearts, which causes us to cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. As we allow ourselves just to be taken over by the Holy Spirit, as we allow our strength to die and our pride to die, and Christ to rise up in us, we become the reflection of Him here on earth for those that don't yet know Him. And it becomes not words, but life transformation that will attract people to Christ. People, people will become attracted to us. They will either, we, we will either become the smell of death or we become the smell of life. To some will be attracted, to some will become distasteful. But to all, they will ask the question, what is different about you? My prayer is that we become that reflection of Jesus here on this earth. That we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. That we don't fight our enemies with rhetoric or knowledge or words or, or rise up with our own pride and our own strength, but we fight our enemies with love. 
with love. Those who have done us wrong, show them love. Reach out the hand of Christ. Reach out the hand of Christ. Let's pray.